Yeah. Like, I mean, life is going to keep coming, you know, until it doesn't. And, and how do we react to it? And I think that that's, I believe that that's the daily practices that we each do that creates this growing along spiritual lines that, and we keep filling up in ourselves, and we do the work and we speak our truth. You know, the miracles unfold from that and we get to feel fucking good. You know, we, we also get to feel the way we want to feel. I, I, I liked, you know, there was a part of me, oh, that liked feeling really bad. I was so used to feeling like shit and unworthy. It was part of my addiction. And then it was like, mm, that was part of that survival thing. And then it's like, no, that's not serving me anymore. It's time to unwind that. It's time to undo that stuff. That was Cindy Rifkin. And this is The Share Podcast. It's time for The Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Share Podcast, and today we have Cindy Rifkin joining us on the show, and Cindy is this amazing yoga instructor whose practices include certifications in Ashtanga, Vinyasa, and Forest Yoga. Cindy moved to India and immersed herself in yoga traditions and philosophy as part of her in-depth training. But before she became a yoga teacher, she spent 18 years on the floor of the New York Mercantile Exchange. And that is where a lot of Cindy's story unfolds. Her alcoholism and sex addiction exploded into a downward spiral where ultimately, like so many of us, brought her to contemplate suicide. There are a lot of facets to Cindy's story and she tells it so well. She's a great speaker and she's an amazing woman in recovery today. But before we dive into Cindy's story, I just wanted to dive into some of these iTunes reviews. We've gotten so many more and they're just so awesome. Um, man, I can't, I can't thank the Dopey Podcast enough. The listeners over there have just been putting these great reviews on there since they found me on the Dopey Podcast. Thank God I'm going to be having the Dopey guys on here pretty soon. The next couple of weeks, I'm going to be interviewing those guys. So that interview will be out in the next uh, couple months. You know, crazy how backed up we are. But yeah, seriously, this is so cool. Um, I got one here from Anxiety Kills. Love this podcast. I came here because of the Dopey episode, and I've already listened to over 20 of your podcasts and recently started from the beginning. Great podcast, very insightful, and I love the stories. Anxiety Kills is from the U.S. And then from Canada, I got D. Uh, says, thank you slash request. Not quite sure what that means on the title. But he writes, hey, oh, found you through the Dopey podcast. Love your show. Very inspiring. Thank you for what you do. What I'd like to hear, if possible, is more guests that are brand new to recovery, even a month or so in. I think it can help us as newbies better understand what those first weeks look like. Thank you for everything. If this review is read on the show, please refer to me as D. Thanks, so. <laughs> All right, D. <laughs> Thanks, from Canada. Um, here's another one from Foxborn007. Keep them coming. Thank you. Seven months sober and going strong. Thanks to podcasts like yours. Man, I got to tell you, I'm overwhelmed again, guys. These reviews are so awesome. And ultimately, it's all about carrying the message of hope. You know, and as far as getting people that are early in recovery, that are only a few months clean, I don't get too many of those asking to be on the show. For the most part, 
I haven't actively looked for guests in over a year. And I have had some people early in recovery hit me up and thank me for the podcast. And I've said, hey, how about you be on the show? And they're like, ooh, I'm too early. I'm scared. And I get that. I understand that. I mean, just as many people that have been featured on the podcast of people that have just bailed out. At the 11th hour, they're like, hey, you know, uh, some plans changed. I couldn't make it. Let's reschedule. And that reschedule never happens. I've reached out to a few people a couple times and it just doesn't happen. It, there's a lot of anxiety building up to when you're going to share your story. So um, I think that could be it too. I think there's a certain, le- a certain level of apprehension for people that are new. Um, I'll tell you, some of, the, some of the best episodes have been people who are in the first five years of recovery because you know, remembering those bottoms is pretty vivid. Uh, so anyway, bottom line is I, I'm going to keep reading more of these reviews. Uh, every week. They're so inspiring. They're so touching. Thank you guys so much. It still baffles me, you know, what an impact uh, we're having on addicts all over the world. It's very fucking cool and I can't say enough. So thanks again, guys. Love you all. And uh, HP, baby, let's just keep doing what we're doing. Let's keep rocking it in recovery. Uh, I'm about to celebrate 14 years clean on May 26th, and my life is beyond my wildest dreams. So let's dive into Cindy's story. But first, if you have not yet rated and reviewed the Share Podcast, please, one of the best ways to help support the show is to go to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and a review, and that helps catapult us up the ratings on iTunes, which will make it easier for more and more people to find the Share Podcast. Now, in the past, many of you have asked, hey, oh, how can I help support the show? Well, I'm going to keep it simple for you. The first way is by donating via PayPal or Bitcoin. And of course, I want to thank all of our listeners who have been generously donating every month to the Share Podcast. Make no mistake about it, you guys are making a huge difference. But again, we can always use more. And now you can even send us donations using Bitcoin. So if you go to the website, www.thesharepodcast.com, on the top right corner, there's a donate button. Click on that button and it'll take you to the page where you can donate either by PayPal or by Bitcoin. On a weekly basis, I have over 5,000 listeners every week who listen to the Share Podcast. So if 100 of you guys would send me $5 a month or more, there are a few listeners that are sending 10, 20, and even $50 every month that would completely support the show from beginning to end. So for those of you who have the wherewithal to send me $5, either by PayPal or by Bitcoin, then by all means, please feel free to donate now. We could really use the support. Also, when you're purchasing stuff on Amazon, there are those of you that are still clicking on the Amazon link on the Share Podcast website before doing their purchases on Amazon. But again, there are thousands of you listening. If each and every one of you could just remember to go to the Share website, click on the Amazon button before you do your shopping, that is also going to make a tremendous difference for us financially. So I haven't been one to emphasize it in the past, right? But now we've got a solid listener base. I know you guys love the show. I know you guys get a lot out of it. There are those of you, just like in the meetings, that are newcomers, the money's tight, Keep listening. The show will always be for free. The Share Podcast Private Accountability Group will always be for free. But for those of you who can, kick in a couple of bucks. Help us out here. And not to forget the Share Podcast 
private accountability group. Again, it's growing like crazy. Guys, go to The Share Podcast, www.thesharepodcast. Click on the button that says join the Facebook private group. For those of you that are in the private accountability group, you know how vital and important that has become. There's over 1,500 members in there. If you don't want to go to meetings, if you have problems connecting with people, if you need something more than just the podcasts and are not ready to cross over into meetings or some other structured program, then the private accountability group is perfect for you. Jump in there, make comments, ask questions, or just read the posts. There are so many people out there that have the same questions that you have. All you have to do is just read those and then read all the follow-up answers and responses that come. And make sure to subscribe to my weekly newsletter so you know every single time a brand new episode is launched. And of course, if you have any questions, just email me, o at thesharepodcast.com, and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. So now a quick message from our sponsors, and then on to the show. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Then go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. And don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Sober Nation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction, as well as to the family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, Sober Nation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can easily be found at www.SoberNation.com. Sober Nation is putting recovery on the map. Hey, Cindy, thanks for joining us. Hey, O, thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the show today. How are you feeling? I am feeling, hmm, I'm feeling lots of energy and lots of pleasure right now. Oh, I love it. We're off to a great start. (laughs) 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 All right. So folks, today we have Cindy Rifkin joining us on the Share Podcast. Cindy is a highly experienced yoga teacher who brings her skills, intuition, and daily medicine practices to those of us who want to find relief from stress and bring joy and meaning back into our lives. She believes that by quieting our mind, strengthening our body, and using ceremonies and spiritual remedies, we can heal our emotional and physical pain, gain the power to create a better life, and be our wisest self. Additionally, she has courageously faced the impact of her personal addictions and has been very successful in working with those of us who are now learning to address our own personal addictions. Did I get that about right? You did. (laughs) I never asked you that. (laughs) I love it. All right. So first of all, tell us a little bit about what your daily routine looks like, including your personal recovery. So my daily routine is, I well, I teach early. I have early clients in the morning. So I usually do a, a, a meditation before I go and then off, then I'm off to them. And then I usually come back home and I go into my practices, which is and can be some lengthy meditation, breathing practices, practice of yoga, which is the physical part, and ceremonies. Ceremonies really are when I get on my mat, 
there is a sacred space that I'm creating for myself so that I can have the most internal strength to go off into my days and to do all the work that I do with others and my own creativity. So it creates more energy that moves through me in such a flow versus then just kind of going off and using my mind for everything. Now, do you have a recovery routine currently that you practice other than your yoga practices? Well, that is part of my recovery. I, I, I did a lot of step work over the years and from AA, and which I think 12-step work is it was part of my healing. And so before I go to bed, I still look at my life and I still see what I'm grateful for and if I've harmed anybody. And I, I do look at my own responsibility for how I have treated others and myself, especially myself, because how I treat myself is really how I'm going to treat others. So that is part of my recovery. I do speak to a few women um, every day. So that's also part of it. And giving. I give yoga to incarcerated youth at Rikers Island. And I give also meditation to an amazing, fabulous program called GOSO, which stands for Getting Out, Staying Out, for for 16 to 24-year-old boys that get out and that keeps their recidivism rate much lower. And they teach them a lot of other skills, but I'm part of volunteering for them every week and with them. And it's so that that part, I think the giving part is definitely part of my recovery. Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, that's what we talk about in recovery. We keep what we have by giving it away. And this particular practice is very crucial. I don't know if you've heard of Y12SR. I do, and I've taught it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with that being said, um, how do you maintain your spiritual condition, that conscious contact with a higher power? So it is about daily practices, right? We, I always talk about with any client, whether they're an entrepreneur or whether they're an, an addict just getting sober or clean, Uh, anyone, you know, dealing with the self-doubt, self-mutilation, behavior addictions, I I feel that we all have a daily practice. So we're either practicing chaos and crazy, (laughs) to keep it simple, right? (laughs) Or we're practicing calm and grounding. And my conscious contact with a higher power, I can call higher power, God, spirit, great mystery, creator. I I, I don't care. (laughs) For me, it is my connection to God and the spirit of God that allows me to connect to myself and the connection to spirit that moves through all things. So that's part of, I feel like being spiritually fit is, is my every day. It's my every day because without it, I go down that path of self-destruction and it could start really small as just that self-mutilation, whether it's just my thought, or I can really self-mutilate myself in many ways. And so it takes, I think it takes a lot of courage to keep that uh, spiritual condition. And I think that it is part of 
Yeah, I, I'm really, really about daily practices because without them, we really don't have, we have that same old pattern and that same conditioning. And if we don't substitute one for another, nothing changes. And we stay in that kind of alcoholic doom instead of on that spiritual path. Yes, I agree 100%. You know, um, there's so many correlations between uh, the practice of yoga and 12-step recovery. Yes. Uh, you know, my, my wife is a yoga instructor. She's also a wellness coach. So there's that congruency between our own belief systems is what really brought us together. When you know, we first met and, and we started dating, that's one of the topics that came up, obviously, was, you know, what, what, is our, what does our life look like and, and, and how, would, how do we view things? In many cases, you know, religion is a, is a very heavy topic, and I think in many, relation, many relationships can be a serious issue if, if there's no congruency. And so, you know, we we're both very spiritual people, but we weren't religious. So that's where the 12 steps for me and the yoga for her, that practice of connecting with a higher power on a daily basis, having a routine, was mm-hmm. all part of the, you know, a big aspect of the attraction between us. So I think it's, I think it's so important that regardless of whether or not you're in a 12-step fellowship or whether you're in yoga, mm-hmm. everyone can benefit from a daily routine of some sort of prayer, some sort of meditation practice, something that you can connect with the universe to allow you to launch into the day without going into it just kind of aimlessly. And, you know, like in many cases, you know, loaded with stress and the to-do list. Yeah, exactly. And there is such a connection between yoga and 12 steps. And I think that prayer, for me, prayer is talking to God and meditation is listening. And that is how I live my life. I don't make decisions based on what I think, because then that's my ego. And (laughs) I don't, that doesn't work for me anymore. I literally sit and I ask and talk and find out what I'm supposed to be doing every day. Because because that's why I'm here. I, I'm here and I've been saved. I really do believe that I'm, I'm here because that is my now my mission. And I do that in every aspect, no matter who I'm teaching. It's all based from that, you know, because it says in the Alcohol Anonymous text, which is called the big book, the doctor's opinion chapter, it states that unless a person can experience an, an entire psychic change, there is very little hope for their, for their recovery. And for me, my recovery wasn't just about not drinking. It was about becoming whole. Right. Absolutely. You know, and I, I couldn't just not drink. It wasn't enough for me. In the beginning, it was because that was what I needed. But then it was so much more because I had so many other things going on and so many things to look at. It wasn't like, okay, now I just don't drink. And that was the only thing that was wrong. There was so much toxicity in my life and in my mind, you know? And so it's been a process, you know, they say, uh, progress, not perfection. And it's true. You know, it's so much about, and it's about making progress. It's, it is practice makes progress. So like I said earlier, it's always about the practice. What are we practicing? Beautiful. I love it. All right. So tell us, Cindy, how much clean time do you have and when is your anniversary date? I have a little over 14 years clean and sober and my anniversary date is 12 
Beautiful. I love it. And tell us how old you were the first time you drank or used drugs. And more importantly, how did that make you feel? Mm. I was 12. And I remember the feeling of feeling. I actually remember the feeling of feeling just good. I felt numbed out, but I felt good. And I hadn't been feeling that way. And so, and when I get into my story, I'll, I'll, I'll share a little bit more about that, but there was something about it that it was like everything just kind of lit up and turned on. Like it was kind of like a, an interesting spiritual experience, but not, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it was what I wanted to feel like. And yet I, I really, I hadn't been feeling that way, even at that age, at such a young age, I had kind of lost my spirit and they say in the, you know, in 12 steps that we're spiritually bankrupt. And that is really what happens. <laughs> kind of lose that. And um, alcohol was my drug of choice. And that was how I was feeling when I started to drink. Beautiful. So, Cindy, it looks like you are all warmed up, my dear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The energy is perfect. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> so right. good. So, it is now time for you to share your story, the battle against drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life, when you hit rock bottom, and then finally, your journey into recovery up until today. So, Cindy, take it away. Yeah. Hmm. My spirit was, I remember, okay, so I remember being eight years old and I remember this playful, silly kid. And I remember this, I, I, by the time I was 10, I saw a unicorn. I saw one at Great Adventure, but I saw it. (laughs) My bestie still remembers because she was with me. And I remember that kind of sweetness about my life. And there was really not a lot of worry there was just this kind of flow. And I have that now. <laughs> I kind of feel like I'm back to that, but as an adult with so much more wisdom. And when I was young, I had some trauma and it spooked the spirit out of my body. And so I was really living like a shell. And so when I started to drink, there was something filling me again. And it, it, like I said earlier, kind of lit me up and it reminded me of that spiritual little kid who saw little fairies when she was younger and loved the rainbows in the sky and was really mesmerized by the spirit world because I had been so connected to it as a kid. I just didn't understand it and nobody in my life understood it. So it wasn't really fostered. So what do we do when we're creative and smart? we turn to things that make us feel that way, even though it's false. Mm. Of course, I didn't know this, right? Like it sounds, (laughs) wow, that's great. But I didn't know that until the last 10 years of my life. You know, I didn't know how smart and creative I was because I really, I had the story of how stupid I was and I couldn't do things because I wasn't getting it. School was just, wasn't working for me. I didn't learn like most kids, but again, I didn't know that. So I basically stopped going to school and did not earn my high school diploma because I was lost and, you know, wanting to fill up and hanging around kids that really weren't filling me up, but were filling me up with drugs and alcohol and making me feel good in a different way. Right. I used sex as, as at an early age. I learned to use that as power. 
And although it disempowered me very much, I learned to use drugs, alcohol, a lot of codependence, a lot of other people thinking that they knew what was best for me. I did go into a drug rehab when I was 16. And I did stay off of drugs and alcohol for, for a number of years. But my life was in chaos. And I didn't have a purpose and I didn't have direction. And I got a job at the age of 19 on the New York Mercantile Exchange. And it was the perfect job for someone who was manic, depressive, and always wanting instant gratification. <laughs> <laughs> and it really, it really supported my anger. It supported my pain. It supported my, my willingness to, to numb out in, in every way. And my, how are you? I'm great. You know, <laughs> never really speaking the truth about how it felt. I learned to cover up the truth because that's what I was taught. And, you know, that's how it was. And, and, and when you get to be an adult, when you start growing up, you either continue to blame others or start taking responsibility for your life. Um, that came later. <laughs> that came in my mid-30s. Uh, I didn't get it. I was a victim, and I played that role really well. I was really good at manipulating, played that role really well. I knew how to make people feel bad by just looking at them. Did that really well. And I think what happens if you do get sober and you do take responsibility for your life and you do really look at yourself and why you did the things you did and then be responsible to other people of saying I'm sorry and saying this is what happened without blaming them and really looking and being accountable, you start to realize how you can then change and use all of that amazing creativity in my addiction and my bottoms and then turn it around to use it in my sobriety and in my life now. So that I feel like is a really interesting change. You know, working with kids who have been incarcerated, who I adore and who are so smart and so creative and, and don't know it always, and how we can learn to shift that, right? So it's not just in recovery, but it's in any area of your life, no matter what you've gone through, even the most traumatic experiences, how do you create that survival into thriving in another way, right? Because I, I, didn't, I wasn't thriving. I was sad. I was manic. I was lost in my own head. I was definitely imprisoned in my own head. I can go and do all these things outside my apartment, but once I came home, when nobody was watching, I was hopeless. I was really hopeless. And by the time I was 24, I, I knew I was going to pick up a drink or a drug again because I reserved the right for that. <laughs> I, I believed I earned it. And of course, because I didn't look at anything else, I was just dry. I wasn't really thriving in a new way that would keep me off of that. And of course, when you go, when you start using again, life is going to get much more challenging. And it did. I left my job so I can go get high and so I can go drink. I wound up going down to Florida. I was 28. And that's when I was no longer protected in New York City. And people had my back because they knew what I was doing. And they, they kind of, we didn't talk about it, but they knew that 
I was a mess and that I was losing it. I was a blackout drinker. So, you know, I was kind of smart at that time. I always had a camera. So they called me Cindy Snapshot. So I always took pictures. <laughs> and so if you had a Hampton share house with me, you were going to get an, a photo album of everything. You know, maybe you didn't like that. But later on, you were like, cool, I like it. Thanks for the memories, because I was definitely not the only one blacking out. And, um, <laughs> You know, as so that was part of my smarts. I I didn't want anyone to see really what was going on. So I was able to take pictures at that time. We didn't have phones, thank God. Um, no videos, right? I'm really grateful, really, really grateful, right? That (laughs) I am my age and I didn't grow up in the time that it is because, um, I don't know what would have happened, you know, who knows how damaging it could have been, but I. I was smart and I'm grateful that I took pictures. I don't have a lot of them anymore because in, in those days we said, you know, get rid of that. <laughs> of course. Now everybody keeps it. Um, so I don't have a lot of before and afters, but um, that's okay. I remember. And I I was able to put back the pieces of the night. So when somebody asked me, how was your night? I was able to, actually able to tell them. So it was very interesting, you know, years later to really see that I covered my tracks so that nobody really knew that I wasn't okay. Now, the people closest to me, I think that they knew, but I never gave them permission to say, how are you? You know, I always wondered, why didn't you say anything? If you knew how bad it was, why didn't you say anything? But, you know, I have to be responsible for that, too, that I made sure nobody asked me. Um, I kept people really far away, um, so that, that I, I really wasn't confronted that way. You know, I believe that it was not their, it was not their responsibility to make my life better. It was mine. And I had people that cared about me, but I know how scary it was for them too. So especially when I was in my bottom, so my bottom, I had two bottoms. One was that somebody put their hands on me, meaning hurt me. And I never imagined that again, because that happened before. And I was, I wasn't using drugs and alcohol and yet that happened. So it was my justification that, um, I, I knew that it, when I was doing the work and starting to live a spiritual life, I knew that my life was not full of spirit because I was still, doing a lot of the same behaviors as people do when they're using and hanging out with those same kind of people. Right. And that was just part of, I always wanted to be part of things. And I knew that, uh, when I did stop using that, I was doing it for someone else, but I also knew that there was such a part of me that I was no longer getting so drunk anymore. Like I just couldn't get that feeling. And so it felt like I really didn't have much of a choice in that way. I mean, my bottom created, you know, living in my car for a little while, you know, doing things that I never imagined myself doing for money. And it's okay. You know, I I feel like it always could have been worse. (laughs) I know that. Um, But I was no longer using and yet my life was, I felt really hopeless because my, I was very manic 
my depression got really bad. I was all over the place. I was not medicated. Um, I had a lot of diagnosis of manic depressive with nowadays, I guess it's called bipolar, Yes, but it was different back then. I think that, um, I was medicated as a kid, but, uh, I, I was, I did it without my parents' consent. So it was, you know, how do you not have a parent's consent to be medicated as a kid? Again, I manipulated that really well. One of the biggest things in recovery for me is being able to ask for help. That to me is one of my greatest assets now. And if I could help anybody, that's one of the, the, the suggestions I say is to ask for help because it's really hard to do that. And especially when you feel so alone and you think that you are alone and that nobody else feels the way you do, but there is always somebody that feels the way you do. So I tried to kill myself and that was when I thought, oh, well, I can't kill myself without drinking. I mean, that's how crazy I thought. I was like, it's not crazy that I want to kill myself, but it's crazy that I'm going to do it sober. <laughs> I honestly think that. I'm going to have to agree with you on that. Right? That's a crazy <laughs> thought. But it was my reality, and I was saved that that day. And I was saved by angels that really lifted me and didn't allow me to to really jump off of a 19-story terrace. I, I am not kidding. I had an experience that was, well, I'm not dead. What do you mean I'm not dead? You know, And uh, something saved me that day. And I know that uh, it, it was the same. I, I know I saw a unicorn. It was my, it was my spirit that you know, they say you're pure at heart to see that. Well, I saw angels that day. And maybe that makes me pure. Maybe it doesn't. Right. I love that. I love that I could be pure <laughs> <laughs> after everything that I did. <laughs> right. It's all about percept uh, perception. And I journaled that day. And I remember being in an ambulance. And I remember being very, after being pulled back, and I wound up throwing up because I did drink and take lots of pills because I didn't think I should do this sober. And, um, I was in a hotel and they, the housekeeping came in basically and found me. So, um, uh, 911 was called and my aunt and uncle and cousin were with me and they came and they called them. They must've found their number or something. And I remember I kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, I didn't really know why I was saying that. And, um, you know, I didn't want to hurt anybody. <laughs> I didn't want to hurt anybody because of my actions, but I did, you know, I, I did hurt a lot of people because of my actions. And I almost lost my life because of my own actions. So I remember that I went into a hospital, uh, a mental health facility, uh, a mental hospital. And I remember being there and I remember those moments of how crazy am I? You know, like, am I really crazy off the edge crazy? Or am I crazy where I actually can heal this? Like, I actually had the most sanest thought there. I I found God that, you know, that night, those days, and in I was in Florida at the time, so you were Baker acted, so you had to stay there. And I had some really sane 
thoughts for the first time in, in many years about my life. And I knew it was time. I knew it was time for me to do the work for myself. I knew it was time to really look and see what happened to me and what caused this and how I can heal it. Because I believe everything can be managed, but I also believe we can, there's another option of healing it. And I was managing my drinking when I was not drinking, but I wasn't okay. And so I began, I found an amazing therapist and I was going to meetings. And for me, going to meetings didn't meant staying sober, but it didn't mean staying, um, well, I staying off of alcohol and drugs, but it didn't mean staying sober. For me, sober means connected to spirit, right? Mm. I mean, I could say on words, right? But my sobriety has to do with my spiritual path and growing along spiritual lines, you know? And that for me was, well, we talk about that in yoga, like do the work and do the work and you'll be able to do that pose. Uh, That pose is a party trick, um, right? Because it's cool at a party. To me, doing the work means becoming strong internally. And it's been a, a process. I mean, I, I jump around here because I could tell you my bottom and I could tell you story after story about the things that I did. But I, I really love sharing about I did those things. I did things and I got to really low places. But yet those things are the things that made me stronger I just didn't know that they would make me stronger, but I knew that if I survived, literally survived, that I would be able to tell stories and I'd be able to relate that to other people, you know, in a Mm -hmm. way that will show how we survive in addiction and we have to, we have ways that we survive. And for me, surviving was being able to I don't know, speak these Sanskrit chants that I didn't know anything about, but also be high as a kite at the same time, right? (laughs) Like, I didn't know what they meant, but I knew that surviving was the things that would connect me to spirit eventually. And that may mean that had to do with the ways that I was selfish and dishonest and self-seeking and fearful. I think a lot of times the fear saved my life in many ways, right? In like very small ways. I worked in the commodities market, but I would come home even when I wasn't drinking and watch porn for seven hours. You know, like that to me is not really living a life that I wanted, But it was part of my process because I needed to look at one thing at a time. We can't look at everything at once. You know, I think for me, I got sober. I started to really look at the trauma, the abuse that I suffered as a kid, uh, you know, sexual abuse, physical abuse. And then the situations I created in my life to mirror those things because that's how I felt about myself, right? Because if I wasn't asking for help, then I wasn't being helped in any other way besides, you know, keep being hard on myself and keep mutilating myself by cutting myself, you know, by the way I thought. And so I moved back to New York in 2003 and I got my job back on the commodities floor 
And a few months later, I found yoga. Uh, yoga found me. And a couple of people are like, let's go to yoga. And I'm like, okay. You know, <laughs> I get to look at people's bodies. And, you know, I was all sexed out then, you know, uh, because I was watching lots of porn. And um, I didn't, was very inappropriate. Um, I knew I was. But I didn't know how to become more appropriate because I didn't know anybody that was appropriate. So, but again, that was part of my survival. And, you know, being, being, getting off of drugs and alcohol is just the beginning, you know, for me. That was the beginning of all of it, right? Drugs, alcohol, you know, getting, looking at my sex, understanding why I did the things I did and, and also creating much more kindness around it and, you know, why I cut myself and why I self-mutilated myself in my mind and my body, the storms that move through me. I mean, to me, that's like a behavioral addiction is like being addicted to that itself is, you know, so used to that instant gratification and that the blaming of other people and fear and, you know, not being able to be self-sufficient in a way. I mean, I literally, I had a sponsor who had to literally teach me how to clean my ass. And I, I'm not saying that for anything other than I stopped learning basic skills in my addiction. I didn't care about things, you know, I didn't care about certain things, especially at the end. And I had to relearn things that are simple practices And I don't take those simple practices for granted. You know, I am really humbled by a shower. I am really humbled about how to teach others now or how to show them about self-care. Because, you know, when you're using and you're, you know, not caring about who you are and what you, you look like or feel like, I, you know, that to me is part of... Well, then you have to learn those things later. And I had to. And I'm grateful that I didn't learn how to do certain things because I got to start from the beginning and being humble to me, even now, no matter how far along I am in my practices, no matter how many trainings I take, no matter how many people I teach, I am humble because I don't know what tomorrow brings. I mean, I'm doing all these practices so that I can have ways to deal with the things that come up in my life, right? I don't meditate for today. I meditate for the future because I don't know what's going to happen later. You know, I don't know if I'm going to get sick. I don't know if I am going to, you know, have much more loss in my life. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I feel prepared. <laughs> I feel more prepared because I get to pray. <laughs> I get to pray for the sick man. One of the quote, one of the prayers in the Alcoholics Anonymous text is, "This is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done." Right? I get to pray for people when I'm on the New York City subway. I get to pray for people when I'm on the bus from Rikers because people suffer. And I suffered and I'm no different than them. I just have a different story behind it, (laughs) you know, because that is, we all have a story and I believe that I'm here to serve and 
I'm here to really kind of show show people through yoga, through meditation, through breathing practices, how we can heal. You know, I got off all my medication after I got sober again. I was highly medicated and I didn't really feel like myself. And someone said, you may never feel like yourself with the medicine. And it's true. And then Mm. I was like, you know how, right? How I'm being medicated and I get that and I respect it, but the medicine isn't going to do all the work. I have to do the work. So that's when the work really started. In 2007, I met a woman and she was this really amazing, uh, you know, what they call goddess, priestess, shaman, like whatever words you want to use for her, she knew stuff and she she showed me about the feminine and I worked with all men. I didn't really honor that part of me. I shut down that part of me. There was so much about me that I really didn't know yet. And so meeting her, meeting my first sponsor and then meeting a bunch of people in between and then meeting her started to show me a course of life that I didn't know. Same with not eating meat. I became a vegan a, a year later and I, I didn't know you couldn't eat, you didn't have to eat meat. I, like I didn't know anybody that didn't eat meat, <laughs> you know, something as simple as that, where I dreamed that the animals were telling me to save them. And I was always amazed by roadkill and didn't understand like what happened to them. And like, but I didn't know, I, you know, you know what you know and you know what you don't know. And there was a lot I didn't know. And, um, that's, so I started to be guided and I'd say in 2000, 2007, 2008, that's when things started to really change. So I got sober in 2002, the end of 2002. So all those years later, being in recovery and going and doing things, I started then going to Native American ceremonies and studying that and and, you know, being on the, being with the earth more, like one of the things I love is God, right? It, they, they, in 12 step programs, it stands for a lot of things, you know? Um, one of the things I love that God stands for is the, the great outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> That's right? a first. Because, That's right? a first. Great outdoors, right? God, <laughs> because we are missing a connection to nature and nature is flow And, you know, if I live in a city, then it's hard to find flow in a city. New York City, though, has been my greatest asset because it has shown me how to practice kindness and compassion and love and how to not react to someone who is angry because there is a lot of anger and sadness in the city. And I can transmute it now because I know how to do that. But it's not always easy to do that when there's so much anger around, you know, but being outside is part of, I believe, part of my daily practice, being able to touch a rock, being able to touch a tree. I mean, these simple things that if you're growing up in the city, you don't really know of those things. I think that we have been so disconnected from our natural way of being, which is part of the 12 steps, right? That's what gets us. We start connecting to God, you know, our our heart, something greater than ourselves. We start connecting 
to a spirit within us that is then showing us this, what connection is, right? Because to me, addiction is separation. And when we're separated from ourselves, when we're separated from people, we're separated from, you know, God, nature, spirit, then we can't, it's so hard to connect to anything. One of the quotes that came into my life that really helped me understand love is the Persian poet and Sufi mystic Rumi. And he has a quote that says, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. Wow. And in addiction, the survival, for me, the survival was I had to protect myself. I had to build those walls. I couldn't feel love. If I felt love, that made me vulnerable, and vulnerability made me a target. And I, you know, in my mind, I mean, I was always a target because I was was vulnerable in situations, but I believe that all those, you know, you can call them bad things, all those things that happened. I, I mean, one thing that I think is really, really important is when we were younger, I think we're about the same age, right? 46. Are we? We're 46. Are you 46? I am 46. Okay. Yeah. So one thing that happened as a kid that I, I really want to talk more about is that, you know, we didn't call it date rape. You know, you didn't call like somebody doing things to you and, and you saying no. They didn't, they didn't call it that. We weren't, didn't talk about it as it's talked about now. Abuse wasn't talked about as it's talked about now, which I think is really cool. We've kind of really opened that up because of internet and because of social media. Everybody's stories are out there in such a way. And we're, we have that platform now. But, you know, I said no, but no didn't mean no. No meant you can take and do anything you want. And I followed that structure for a really long time. And even after leaving the commodities floor eight years ago, I had to undo a lot of what was going on because I lived in a very specific world. And I got to tell you, I love my tribe down there, but there I came in contact with a lot of narcissists that, you know, believe that they can take and do whatever they wanted. And I, I went along with a lot of things, you know, there and generally in my life because, you know, in my addiction and in my bottoms, because that was what I thought about myself. And I think that the porn and the sex that I started gaining control over was good survival for me, right? Because I was still doing things that gave me pleasure, but I was doing them on my terms. Right. My terms. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. You know, I I don't have a lot of shame around that anymore. I I think that it's really important that I like love that. I don't really talk about it much. I talk about it privately and I've been always saying, oh, I'm going to blog about my porn addiction and sex addiction. I just, and I didn't really plan on talking about it now, but I feel like it's such a, it's such a part of my story because it was normal, (laughs) you know, it was just normal for me. And for the first time in my life, really like the last six, eight months, like I feel the wholest I've ever felt. I, I feel like I don't have those, those spiritual holes anymore because I now fill myself with connection and spirit and giving. I believe we have to give. 
You know, we have to continuously give. And when we give, we get back in such a beautiful way. And I get to share my stories with the boys that I teach and the guys that I teach. And I I get to share my stories with entrepreneurs that I teach. And I've, I've been doing more workshops now in different states and traveling. And I get to share what feels right to share because I feel like we're all going through it. We're all going through something, whether it's a major addiction like sex or drugs or alcohol or food or gambling. I feel like then there's all those other ones, like how many people are self-deprecating right now? Like how many people are talking so unkind to themselves and don't know how to get out of that loop, you know? And I think that that's, that's such a part of my daily practice now is to be really kind to myself. I'm going to close out with this. When November came and December is my clean date and it's always when, when I did that, you know, when I want to take my life, it's always this like time. And I didn't, I want to change that story about myself. Like I don't need to, I, I celebrate my life every day now, you know? And I was feeling that I honestly believe after almost 14 years of being sober that it doesn't matter how long you're clean. Thoughts come up and we're never over anything. We heal it. It's a constant, constant process of something. And that's when I said like ego gets to be eased out. That's another, right? Ego means easing God out. When ego starts to come, right? It's like, okay, well, what am I doing? And I can relapse. It doesn't mean I'm using drugs or alcohol. It means that I'm starting to go down that scale of, of, you know, anything of my, you know, my depression or my manic behavior or what am I not doing, right? I'm not addicted to those things, but I practice these things as my medicine because I'm no longer taking those prescription meds. And in November, I, I actually had the thought that, and I think this is really real. And I think that we need to keep it really real in recovery. And that is by, I had thoughts that I would be better off being like a homeless prostitute doing drugs. Like I believe that for a couple of days, but because I have the practices, I was able to sit with it without actually acting on it and thinking that I was meant to drink again. And that drinking was going to drive me into all these other things. And I then have another very clear thought of what do I really want to do in my life? What is my greater purpose? And here I am doing, I'm doing, I've already been doing a lot of work. I've always been volunteering. I've always been giving my time to people. And yet there was something, there was something that wasn't, that wasn't happening. Now I had just stopped having so much sex and using that as a way to, um, to numb out still and in a smaller way, but still doing it. Same with sugar. Sugar is like crazy addiction in our world right now. (laughs) You know, um, isolation is another crazy addiction. I was really good at that. And I had that thought, well, what am I going to be doing? That's going to make a bigger difference. And, and then I talked to someone at the Department of Corrections and I started teaching yoga at Rikers Island. And I knew that if I was going into that place, I had to be good. 
Like there was no more space for, oh, it's okay. Nobody's watching or I, you know, whatever thoughts that were coming through, not to say I'm going to be perfect now, but something had to stop because I had, to, I was going, I was going to start going into a place where energetically, right. Cause I work with energy energetically. Uh, that was another thing for me, right? I felt everything at such a young age. I was a high leveled empath. Didn't know that word until 2007. Didn't know that when I was crying when I was five, well, I was really crying because I felt somebody's pain. It wasn't just mine, right? That's a whole other piece of thing of something for me um, that I didn't know that I was so had so that much empathy. And so I kept drowning it out, drowning it out, drowning it out. And then I started to realize that I, I have, I can change the energy and I can do a lot of things. And then here I am now, this thing is coming up for me. And then I started teaching these boy, uh, all these amazing kids at Goso. And I knew that giving was going to change me in such a profound way that I think I'm a really good space holder, but you know, when you think you're aware and then you go into a jail, you are not aware. It, it really <laughs> brings you, right? Because awareness is very different in a, in a space like that. And I go in there every week and without judgment, without concern or worry, but to give these practices to everybody and that everybody deserves to feel worthy, to feel like enough and to call their spirit back home no matter what, what's happened for them in their story. I talk about being responsible for our life and living the kind of life we want to live. And we may not know. We may not, you know, know what that is. But to know that you're, that to be told that you're smart, to, to be told that you're worthy of so much good, you know, I didn't always hear that. And if I did hear it, I didn't hear it. And I'm definitely on a mission um, to continuously bring these kind of practices so that people shine brighter and that people know uh, that they're never alone, right? Because I felt really alone. And that is my story. (laughs) (laughs) I could tell you so much more, but like I'm sweating over here. And of course, you know, there's always more, but. I think that that's, that's what's shown through me. So I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> oh, wow. What a beautiful story. And yes, I could ask you a thousand questions because as you were talking, <laughs> I was taking notes and uh, yeah. I was like, I got to ask her about this and I got to ask her about that. But you kept coming around to it. And, you know, I guess one of the, one of the, one of the questions I was going to ask you was just about just the sexual intensity and just about the dysfunction around that. But it looks as though at a younger age, you had some pretty bad experiences sexually and creating that, that need um, to act out, that need to yeah. act out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's all in there. And I think that I have a lot of female listeners on the podcast and there's only there's only been a few that have that have been on the show and that have actually talked about these types of situations in their lives where they can discuss openly their sexual addictions or their porn addictions or 
all these things that have happened in their lives, even as far as the arrested development, you know, where your your own sponsor or your mentors, they have to reteach you how to live again or, or how to just do basic things. There's so many things that happen to us in the course of the disease when when we're active in the disease is like this arrested mm-hmm. development that happens that at whatever age we really picked up all those years are just mm. gone yeah you know we we were using and so you know we disconnected from society we disconnected from reality and i also feel that as addicts we're very intense and we're very sensitive and that yeah. um we 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 connect to things you know one of the things that that I kind of resonated with was in your own sensitivity is that we're takers. I think that uh, I've been referred to as a taker and I think that you're a taker. And I and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that mm-hmm. we take in whatever energy is around us, we take it. Yeah. And so if someone's got negative energy around us, we take that in and it affects us. And if somebody's got good energy, we take that in. And so our energy level goes up or down based on what our surroundings are. You know, am, am I correct in assuming that? Yes, for sure. Okay. So, so for we're sure. in that same kind of boat. So there, so when it comes to numbing that out, of course it makes sense. The alcohol, weed, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. it is that, that we are going to take or we're going to put into our bodies to help us moderate that intensity, that that energy that that we're feeling and we don't like it, that discomfort, you know, we just automatically gravitate to something that is quick, that is self-gratifying, that is instant gratification, and will take us away from whatever discomfort that we're feeling. And I think that we need to talk about it more. You know, I I, I love all the different avenues that we went into into your story because it encompasses so much. Encompasses, you know, suicide, thoughts of suicide, you know. Um, uh, there's not too many women I know that that spend time on the trading floor. <laughs> <laughs> that is such... There's a few of us. God, yeah. yeah, but the, your level of intensity, what, you? I think you did that what, for... 18 years I was there. 18. Oh, wow. I mean, that, yeah. that takes so much... I don't even know what word to use here, but there is... <laughs> I mean, when you're surrounded by that much energy, if you're feeding off of it, it's even worse. Because if you can feed off of that, then like you said, when you leave there, yeah. what do you do with all that energy? And then you would go home and, and, and you know, surf porn for seven hours or drink or, or act yeah. out sexually, whatever, because you're leaving that, that intensity and it just doesn't go away. It doesn't. No, you have to channel it in another way. One of my questions was, were you saying that this last November, you know, you had these thoughts that, you, you know, you'd be better off as a homeless prostitute? Yes, just this last November. Was there anything in particular that was going on in your life that would channel those sort of thoughts? So one thing that I think is really important um, for me, and, and I find with a lot of people that I speak to that are getting off of drugs, alcohol, and lots of other addictions And that is, we need to substitute something for something else. And I'm not saying I got to get off alcohol and then start exercising four hours a day, right? Um, I'm not saying things like that. I'm talking about like the daily practices that we're doing. So I had stopped using sexual things and activity. um, And I was, I then started 
to, I was practicing a lot of things and I was meditating a lot, but then I started using sugar a lot again. And the sugar creates a lot of intensity in my body. And so I, because I was bound, I thought I was balancing it out with meditation. I feel that our food industry is poisoning and I am a vegan, but it doesn't mean that I can't eat processed food. Right. So I think that that started creating, um, uh, something in my body. And because I wasn't on a lot of medication again, like I, it's always this kind of balance this redefining balance for me when it comes to not being medicated because medication did work for me, but I don't want to use it. I I do my best not to. And if I had to go back on it, maybe I would, but I don't feel that I have to. So I think because I was no longer using anything to numb out, I think the connection between sugar and getting really highly meditated was creating some kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a weirdness inside of me that I was having a lot of thoughts, a lot of negative thoughts. And I, I was not at telling anybody, right? So I was kind of handling it. And so I think those thoughts came up. And right after they came up for a couple of days later, I talked about it. So I think that I finally got, uh, I guess this, I don't know, I, I stopped. And it kind of sounds weird, right? But I, I stopped using anything and everything to numb out. And I think I was withdrawing. I think in a way I was in a withdrawal stage and that I was feeling everything. And when you're feeling everything, you feel everything. And the reality of that is some thoughts might come back. But because I have, I was, I was meditating every day a lot, that I think that those practices kept me really grounded and you know, after not using sex as a way to express myself, I became really empowered. And I think I teach empowerment to a lot of, uh, a lot of people that have had experience with trauma is that, you know, no one can take my power away no matter what, uh, because it's mine if it's mine, but if I give it away, then obviously then I'm giving it to somebody. But because I think that there was this thing that happened that I was really clean and sober for the first time. Does that make sense? Because I really believe that for the first time in November, I was totally clean and sober from anything, like from everything. Well, my thought process was, or as you were, as you were sharing, I kept thinking about when we come off alcohol, we come off drugs, and X amount of time passes, and then we start having these using dreams. And people will share in the meetings about having these using Mm -hmm. dreams. And some of these using dreams are are horrific. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we always say, hey, your body or your mind or who's to say what it is, mind, body, spirit, the whole thing. You come off of all this stuff and then your body or your mind or the disease comes at you in a different way. And I think that maybe what you're describing is just the cleaner that you get and, you know, you're off the sugar, you're off the sex, you're off the booze, you're off the drugs. You know, you're living this very spiritually connected lifestyle. And your mind is susceptible to almost anything. And there is something as dis- as seedy and as sick mm-hmm. as this may sound, there yeah. is an allure to being a homeless prostitute. I know! There it is. I'm not going to, you know. Thank you. If we're, 
And there's people out there listening. They're gonna go, yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. There is an allure yeah. to bottoming out. Yeah, totally. Because when you're, and this has happened to me throughout my recovery as well, in, in the self sabotaging mm, yeah. aspect of our lives, because either you're succeeding at something, you're doing well at something, and then there's this fear of failure. There's this feel, there's this fear of success. There is all these different fears that come up as you go along this path. And as you move along, you get to an area where there's unknown. And now I'm you, I, I've gone through this before, but now things are going in a certain direction. Where's it going to go to? Is it going to get more difficult? Am I going to fail? Am I going to look bad? Fuck it. I should just quit all this. Yeah. And become a homeless prostitute. Right. Right. And yeah. then life becomes very simple. I know this. I can uh-huh. do this. Yeah. This is a no brainer. And, and so I think that to a certain degree, you know, when those things happen, we're just not completely conscious of what our brain is doing, you know? And there is definitely fear. There's definitely some self centeredness in there. There's some self sabotage all going on. And, and to go there is just like, this is the easy way out. Almost like, Committing suicide is the is the easy yeah. way out because now I don't have to do the work. That's right. And I don't give a shit who you are, especially if you're an addict. We don't yeah. like to work for shit. We uh-huh. just don't. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I, oh my I, god, I, I love when someone gets that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people that yeah. listen to this get it because yeah. that's that's what we do. The most important takeaway of this entire monologue that we just did is that we cannot do this alone. Alone, we will have these crazy thoughts. Yeah. And the minute we share about it, it becomes just these funny anecdotes. But alone, this shit gets real fast. It does. It does. And, and, and so five months later, I have used all that sexual energy. I have used all of that, the clarity I get from not eating sugar like uh, having a clean diet because I think clean diet and sobriety is really important. Yes. I didn't really touch, I touch upon that, but it's really part of becoming whole for me. And now I use all that creativity and I am creating, I'm in the process of creating so many different programs, workshops, and I have so much more ideas and clarity now that I really have more structure right? Because when we're not disciplined as addicts, that I'm learning to use as a way of how do I, what do I do with all this swirling energy in me? And it, it does come down now because we are fucking creative and we are really fucking smart. And now what are we going to do with all of that? Right. And how successful can we be? <laughs> it's limitless, really. Yeah, it is limitless. It's limitless. I have had some interviews with people where it's like, not unlike yourself, where I'm listening yeah. to these rock bottom stories and I'm like, I can't believe this is the same person. Yeah. You know, sharing this experience. And so many of us have that same have that same feeling of like, wow, it's amazing that you were X person, right? But yeah. the, the ones that need to hear this the most are, are the newcomers. I have so many people that are new mm. listening to the show, holding on by a thread. And they need to know that if they hold on, if the if you just hold on and you follow these simple suggestions, then you can have a life beyond your wildest dreams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So real quick, are so are you a Y12SR instructor? Are you certified in that? I am certified in that, yes. So tell us about what you are certified in. Tell us 
what's the best way for our listeners to contact you, uh, your websites, social media, videos? Give us, you know, tell us the best way to contact you. Okay. I am, well, so the best way to contact me would be through uh, my name, Cindy Rifkin. It's my website.com. It is my, every social media platform is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's all Cindy Rifkin. I feel like I am, I, I teach forest yoga. On a forest created a system of yoga that was very specifically for physical and um, emotional healing. And to me, it's an amazing yoga practice. And so I do teach yoga privates. I teach yoga workshops. I go ev- anywhere and everywhere to teach specific ones. They're all on my website. And um I put a lot of recovery into my yoga. I mean, I am living a life in recovery. So I go to meet 12 step meetings once in a while. It's not part of my life as much as it used to be, but it's always a part of my life. You know, I I feel like you learn things. It's part of when we are teachers of something and we all are teachers of something. That's what I'm putting out into the world. So it doesn't matter who I teach. I just meet people where they are. If I'm talking to entrepreneurs or finance people, I talk about something specific where they get it. If I'm talking to people that are incarcerated, I talk about what they re- you know, relate to. If I'm talking to people in addiction, I talk to what they relate to. It's all the same um, spiritual work. I believe that that's what yoga for me is. Yoga for me, is the undoing of the things that I've done. (laughs) You know, getting me to the clearest and most wisest self of me. And I share that. All right. So beautiful. So that's the best way for our listeners to get a hold of you. All right. So Cindy, we're going to start to wind down. And the way I like to wind down is for the newcomer. All right. So I'm going to ask you five questions about your early recovery, and I want you to respond with inspiring answers that you can share (laughs) with our newcomers. Are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) All right. Go. So number one, what was keeping you from getting clean or staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery? So staying clean, mm, keeping me clean, I'd say that that was... (sighs) It's such a such a loaded question to me. <laughs> As I think that for me, being abstinent of something worked in the beginning. You know, staying around people that that got me and talking about stuff and speaking the fucking truth, not being afraid to speak my truth. That got in my way of really staying and being clean, is because. I I had shame and you know, one thing in recovery is that no, you're never going to tell somebody that like has never heard something (laughs) that you did. You're not going (laughs) to shock anybody, you know, especially if you're trying to shock somebody, you're not going to shock them because, um, you know, staying abstinent, it didn't work for me. I think it does work for some people, but it didn't, it didn't work. I, I, that feeling of hopelessness, it disappeared when I started to do the work. Absolutely. Beautiful. We cannot, again, we cannot do this alone. No, what we can do together, what we cannot, what's that saying? What we can do together, we cannot do alone. 
I may have messed that one up. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I know that one, but uh, as you said it, I was like, okay, so, uh, okay. Yeah. You can't do alone, we can do together. How about that one? <laughs> it, we, 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 we definitely get the point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, because that's the thing, right? I all, that if, if I can leave any, if I can leave with anything of a takeaway is that you are not alone. You are not alone. And I'm in the midst of creating something so that people really get that they're not alone. Absolutely. Absolutely. So number two, at what point did you have a spiritual awakening, that aha moment in recovery, when you accepted that you were powerless over drugs and alcohol, but for the first time had developed the hope that you could recover? The aha moment was when I realized I wasn't over the deep end of crazy, <laughs> that I think that I was able to come back to and live in the real world. <laughs> um, and, and that had to take me to get to almost dying for me to get that moment. I've had a lot of, a lot of aha moments though, and little and spiritual awakenings always. I mean, I feel like getting on my mat and getting deep into meditation, you definitely have those. Um, but that, that moment for me was I'm alive and I, I'm meant to be here to do to be the conduit to do things. You know, I think a lot of us, you know, get that chance. Yes. And uh, I have that chance. You have that chance. Yeah. There's so many of us that have that chance not to be that conduit. You know, one of the things that I remember was two weeks clean and I was at this NA convention and the closing speaker said, you know, I may not be the well, but I do enjoy being the pipe every once in a while. Mm, I like that. Yeah. And that stayed with me all these years because that's exactly how I feel. You know, I get yeah. this opportunity to, to help people. I get emails all the time from people like, thank you so much. You know, and I said, you know what? I, I may not be the well, but I do enjoy being the pipe every once in a while. Yeah. I love that. Cause I'm just, I'm connected. I'm connected. Yeah. I don't, I don't claim to be some kind of spiritual guru. I just, Claim to be somebody who is connected with a higher power. And when I choose to connect with that power, then these amazing things happen. Yeah, that is it. I never, ever think I understand what people's story are and story is, you know, it's, I, I do know that uh, I am, I'm responsible for my own life and how I want to feel. Yes. Yeah. And then I get to share that. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. All right. And so, Cindy, do you have a favorite book that you would recommend to our newcomers that you read in early recovery? I do. Well, uh, I kind of have two because the Alcoholics Anonymous tech, if you read that book from the front cover to 164 and you look up all the words that you don't know because there's some really cool words in there and you read it with someone, oh my God, like, oh my God, the, that book is, it is definitely... <laughs> It, it, right? It's it definitely is. a sacred text. It like is. there's some yoga books that are sacred texts, but that book is a sacred text. And um, I, I wanted to do a, a non AA book and that is the alchemist. Um, I, I feel like that was an easy read for me. I wasn't really a big reader and someone told me about it. It's by Paulo Coelho. Co Co I can't remember. Paulo Coelho. Ah, you know how to pronounce it. Thank you so much. <laughs> you can cut that one out. <laughs> um, because uh, he talks a lot. He talked, you know, that book for me was about 
fear and it, how big of an obstacle it can be and how scary that is. But with any great risk, you know, comes great reward. And I think that that's an important, I think it's an important book. I, 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 I suggest it to everybody that I teach. It's uh, my favorite book. And that's why ah. I know how to pronounce the name. I've read it five times and yeah. I don't, and I don't read. All right. right. So, so there's, that says a lot. There is, uh, there's so many references from that book. So many great mm-hmm. takeaways. Uh, one of the things is your, your personal legend, you know, your, your only task in life is to discover what your personal legend is. And I tell that to my sponsees. You know, I tell them that you're so much bigger than you have any idea that you are. Though you're at the bottom of all bottoms right now, yeah. you have a purpose here. Yeah. There's a reason why you're not dead or in jail yeah. or any number of other things. And so you have a powerful message. You know, connect with that. You know, yeah. ask your higher power. When you get bored in your recovery, it means that you've become complacent and you've stopped looking for what your purpose is. You've stopped seeking your personal legend. And mm. when you start getting irritable, restless, and discontent, then those creepy little thoughts start coming back in that maybe, mm. you know, I can have that just one drink, right? And we all know where that goes. Yeah. You know, so that's the way that goes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is a practical program of action and we have to keep taking action. Yes. And the mind will dictate the way we think or we can do practices that will help us and create our spirit to dictate the way we want to live. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So number four, what is the best suggestion you have ever received? Hmm. There's a lot. What The first one that comes to mind is even when you're scared, do it anyway, <laughs> right? Because it's going to, if, if it's scary, it, okay, well, okay. Fear can get in the way and stop us from doing anything. But if we do it anyway, then we can, we can practice the action of doing it rather than practice the action of being fearful. Yes. You know, fearlessness of warrior fearlessness of like, this is who I am. This is what I want. I I have to take the action to get it or else I'm just going to stay in that kind of rotting place. Yeah. Whether you think you can, what's that one? Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. (laughs) Yeah, Right. So simple. (laughs) So simple. Yeah, well, a lot of what we were discussing about earlier is just that whole fear-based mentality where, you know, you're more afraid of the unknown than going backwards into complete annihilation. And, you know, it's very subtle. And for for many of us, we recognize it as subtlety and that it's just a sign that we need to, to change directions, that we need to pivot. Uh, but again, that's for those of us that are connected, that pray, meditate, you know, are surrounded by others, are able to share about these things. The, you know, we have a healthy way of channeling this, these negative thoughts. Uh, again, people that are that are isolated and and don't have a, a solid program, whatever that may be, will find themselves in big trouble when those thoughts come in. Yeah, li- I mean, life is going to keep coming. You know, mm-hmm. until it doesn't. And and how do we react to it? And I think that that's, I believe that that's the daily practices that we each do that creates this growing along spiritual lines that, and we keep filling up in ourselves, and we do the work, 
and we speak our truth, you know, the miracles unfold from that. And we get to feel fucking good. You know, we, we also get to feel the way we want to feel. I, I, I liked, you know, there was a part of me, oh, that liked feeling really bad. I was so used to feeling like shit and unworthy. It was part of my addiction. And then it was like, mm, that was part of that survival thing. And then it's like, no, that's not serving me anymore. It's time to unwind that. It's time to undo that stuff. And, and it's a process. I feel like we each have a process. There's no right or way, wrong way of doing this stuff. It's simple, but not easy. They say all the time, but it fucking, it's awesome. I mean, life is, you know, life is good. Life is good even when it's not so good. And it's my not so good is nothing anymore compared to, you know, it's always about what, how do I want to live? I, I existed. You know, how many of us just exist? And even in recovery, we just exist. And it's like, get fucking fascinated how you do things. Get really interested in the way you operate and take a look at it, you know, and, and, and start. And I, I think it's like start living, start, start getting, you know, doing the things that make us feel good and sparkly, you know. <laughs> Beautifully said. Beautifully you know? said. I could not agree more. Very <laughs> excellent. Excellent. All right. So then number five, if you could give a newcomer only one suggestion, what would that be? Oh, another one. That's so many things. Ask for help. I, I think that that's the thing that, yeah, I, I, I speak to people now and when, I, when they call me or they text me, we didn't have that. You know, we had just a phone call. <laughs> Getting on that phone and calling and dialing, literally di rotary dialing the number. I remember that. Was pretty challenging. I think the, the texting, it can be still challenging, right? Because that's the world that we live in now. But it's it's not always easy, but it, it just do it. You know, it's like, don't be afraid. Just do it uh, or be afraid and do it anyway. <laughs> but, you know, right? Because, you know, we feel what we feel. I never, never want to ever wrong anybody for how they feel. But asking for help. I mean, I know someone right now in, in my life that asks for help. And like, it's amazing what happens when we just ask. And that's been a, a long coming practice for me. That's been one of the hardest for me, you know? So I stayed suffering for a long time because of it, but that's, that's my path. Yeah. But it's also the path for so many and they need to hear that, Yeah, you know, ask for help. Beautiful. Great suggestion, Cindy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me and all the work that you do. It's wonderful. Thank you. I love what I do. You know, as long as I can, I'm going to keep on keeping on. <laughs> Yeah, right. And, I, and I, I really want people to know that no matter what you're going through, like there's somebody here. And if you listen to this, call me, email me, text me. I'm totally there. I'm totally there to give you my attention and, um, you know, yeah, my attention and ear. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. All right, folks, I'm going to have all this stuff listed on the show notes, how to contact Cindy, the best way to contact Cindy, her website. And uh, so feel free, reach out. She's doing amazing work out there. So we have now reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. 
While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.